You're in the water loop. Waterloop is a nonprofit media outlet made possible in part by a grant from Springpoint Partners. For all content, visit waterloop.org. This is episode number 147, Measuring the Yellowstone Flood. As an historic flood devastated Yellowstone National Park and downstream communities in Montana, the U.S. Geological Survey was busy measuring stream flows, monitoring equipment, sharing data, and even making repairs in the field. Early data shows the flood could be a 1 in 500 year event, and the gauge just outside the park measured water levels 50% higher than the previous record. The role and response of USGS during these storms is explained in this episode with Catherine Chase, Surface Water Specialist at the USGS Wyoming Montana Water Science Center. Catherine says that trends show increases in peak flow over the years a possible indication of how climate change is bringing more intense rainfall and melting snowpack more rapidly in the Yellowstone area. She also discusses how to accurately describe the frequency of flood events and the ways USGS coordinates its science with other federal agencies during events like this. The conversation will begin in one minute, but first, a word about our sponsor, Varuna. This episode of Waterloop is sponsored by Varuna the decision intelligence tool for water systems. The factors that go into running water systems are more dynamic than ever, but the tools for making decisions are still static. That's why Varuna built a resilience tool that uncovers blind spots, identifies risks, and generates insights, which are all presented in a user-friendly dashboard. There are many risks that water systems have to mitigate. While EPA identifies 10 vectors of risks that water utilities should track, the Varuna Resilience Tool captures 26, including internal and external risks. The tool allows operators to take immediate actions and leaders to make long-term strategic decisions, and is especially helpful for, for smaller systems. With Varuna, better data means better decisions. Learn more at varuna.city and let them know you heard about it on Waterloop. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. I am here with Catherine Chase. She is a surface water specialist for the U.S. Geological Survey uh, out of their Water Science Center for Wyoming and Montana. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So uh, I think everybody has seen in the news the just devastating flooding that has taken place in Yellowstone National Park and the area around there. Um, wanted to talk to a water scientist about you know what you see or saw in the streams and the, the waterways. I know you've got USGS has got just the best monitoring, the best network of, of monitors and sensors and all that kind of stuff. Um, so what what happened out there? You're you're a resident of the general area. Um, what, what what was the news for people? Uh, if you could recap that first. So we saw record stream flows on many of the stream gauges in the Yellowstone River Basin, and mostly I'm talking about the Yellowstone River that's downstream from the park, so north of the park, um, where we saw 
record stream flows and a pretty rare event for this area. And then record stream flows in many of the tributaries also. And up in the park, we do have data from a few stream gauges there that showed really large floods, as many people have been hearing about. Hmm. So as an event like this is happening, you know, you've got this, this heavy precipitation, big rain, um, you know, a scientist like yourself and then your colleagues, what's happening at USGS? Um, you know, what do you, what data do you have access to? What do people do to get more? Yeah. Just what's kind of like the, the reaction. So we, as you noted, we have a large, we have many stream gauges in the, in the area. We have um, three stream gauges in particular that are downstream from the park that experienced, as I said, large floods, and then also gauges on the tributaries. And what we, you know, noticed on Sunday and Monday is that the flows at those stream gauges were coming up very quickly. And um, as we were looking at National Weather Service forecasts, as those were being updated, we did know by Sunday and, and as of Monday that large flows were happening at those stream gauges. So immediately we kick into motion and our data staff, men and women are out there um, checking on the stream gauges and, and measuring stream flows to confirm what we're seeing at our gauges online. Mm. Couple questions off of that. So, you kind of have some advance notice, right? Your gauges are upstream, right? In a lot of cases, and and where rain is coming, and you're starting to get a sense that this is all going to come together and and lead to bigger flows in like the Yellowstone River and so forth. Right, right. So, our Corwin Springs stream gauge is upstream from the town of Livingston, for instance. And so, once we noted that flows were coming up there, we knew that something was going to be hitting downstream at Livingston, for instance, and we started really watching that gauge. And again, that's when crews were going out to confirm the, the flows we were seeing online. And um, and then, of course, me, I get questions from many of my state and federal partners. So all the whole time we're communicating with our state and federal partners about, because the, these data that I'm talking about, everybody sees. It's public information that's on our website. So we see, we get immediate lot, lots of questions from the weather service. We are in direct communication constantly with them mm. and then with other state and federal partners as well. Oh, wow. So you talk about record levels on these gauges. Could you talk numbers a little bit? Like, you know, how high were these levels? What's maybe the previous highs? What are some of the averages? Just whatever, whatever numbers you want to share to put this in context. Yeah, sure. So as far as the actual discharge data that I'll be talking about, um, it's all provisional at this point. Um, we have a lot of work to do out in the field to confirm these numbers. Um, as many of you, your listeners probably know, these large flows will, will change a channel, right? They scour it out, deposit in some places. So um, some of these numbers might change as we get out there and understand what really happened at the sites. Sure. But for instance, at um, the Yellowstone River at Corwin Springs, that's the downstream gauge from Yellowstone National Park, the stream flow provisional again um, is 49,400 CFS. And the largest discharge on record, that gauge has um, more than 100 years of record. And the largest discharge on record was 32,200 CFS. Wow. That's so, a, like a yeah. 50% increase over the highest one before. That's my rough math right there. Um, that's, <laughs> yeah. that, that's incredible. And um, we can compare these observed 
peak discharges with peak flow frequency analyses that we've published. Again, these data are public. And when we make that comparison, that event is larger than the 0.2% event for that stream gauge. Mm, incredible. Um, you mentioned that these big events can scour streams. And I think I've even stor seen stories about, you know, changing the course of the river a little bit and everything. Is, is any of that science available yet? Or is there anything you see in, in the data that, that hits at that? Well, that's why our folks are out there yeah. at our stream gauges. Um, they're, they're actively surveying and taking measurements. And just based on some of the information that they're getting right now, they do see scour at some of the sites. That's pretty much as detailed as I understand things right now. Sure, sure. But what you'll see, and so we don't publish that geomorphologic data directly, but what you see is, you know, USGS develops a rating curve. So that's a relationship between stage and discharge at our stream gauges. And what you'll see after a channel changes is that that shifts. It's called a rating shift. So that relationship changes. And you can see that information on our website. Wow. Interesting. So, you know, you and, and the rest of your colleagues at USGS have, you know, tracked this data, study this data on, on streams and river flows. Um, we hear a lot about uh, maybe some of the precipitation events or lack of it in other parts of the country, up up there in Montana and Wyoming. Um, what kind of what kind of trends are you all seeing when it comes to flows in your waterways? So, right, I um, we do do some research on trends in in precipitation and temperature and how that might be affecting stream flows. Right now, we we're, that's in public it hasn't been published yet okay. so stay tuned for that <laughs> that'll be coming out soon um but um we have published trends for some of these sites and in the yellowstone what we've noted again we have some nice long periods of record that there are increasing trends for some of these sites on the yellowstone river Thanks. so these are these are changes in the peak flows mm. um, yeah, I was going to say changes in just the the water levels being higher, but they're but you're saying peak flows are getting higher, or there's more uh, intense flows that come from from rain events. Well, specifically, what we're talking about is so we every year we record the annual peak, the highest the peak discharge ever got, and then we do a, a peak flow frequency analysis on those annual events and through time for instance at the at the Corwin Springs gauge those peaks have been increasing of course year to year they go up and down and up and down but a trends analysis does show that they have been increasing mm, interesting um could you talk a little bit about, you know, uh, and, and we talked about this before the podcast, you know, a 50-year event, a 100-year event, a 500-year event, because I think the public hears about, hears some of these phrases from time to time, and they might think, oh, we just had a 100-year event. Well, we're good for another 100 years. Or uh, how is it that we just had two 500-year events in back-to-back in -back years? Or maybe could you explain what that, that phrase is all about? Yeah, so isn't statistics fun? I mean, <laughs> it, it's a little complicated, and you, I get twisted around sometimes when I'm talking about annual exceedance probabilities and the probability of a large event happening. Um, what we do, as I, as I noted before, is we take the highest 
discharge, the peak discharge every year, and then we compute flood frequencies or peak flow frequencies on those peak flows. And we can come up with, then using statistics, the, um, for instance, the 1% event, the event that's expected to occur or be exceeded every year. And we call, I like to call that the 1% flow. Mm. And uh, that could be described as the one in a hundred event too. Okay. So lots of people like to refer to that as the hundred year flood, which is correct. But at the same time, it can lead to confusion because mm. as you noted, people don't understand why, you know, how does that happen four times in the last 10 years? Well, that event has the same probability of occurring every single year. So just because you have one doesn't mean you're not going to have another one fairly soon. Mm. Now, I, to, to scale that also, you know, we learn about the system every year. So we keep collecting these data. At some point, we'll come back and update those peak flow frequencies and they might change depending on what's happened. That makes so much more sense the way you've explained it, that this is like a 1% event, if you will, right? That, that Rather than throwing the years into it, because that's just, that's just like changing the percent, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's really what the crux of this is, is that percent there. Um, yeah. And, uh, so this flow of 49,000 cubic feet or whatever, um, what, what percent would that be? So I'm just comparing it to our published analyses and it's higher than the 0.2%. Mm. That's wow. what we can say right now. It's higher than that 0.2% or one in 500 event. So okay. a fairly rare event. Very right? rare. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing you mentioned is, is kind of partnership with other federal agencies, with states, other partners. Um, how does that work during an event like this? Who, who, are you, who is USGS kind of in communication with? What are you all sharing and, and trying to accomplish through those partnerships? So, you know, one of the most intense partnerships during a flood event is the National Weather Service. We are providing stream flow data. At the same time, they are providing um, forecasts at these stream gauges. Um, so they're using, as I understand it, they use our, our data and they also use their models. So we're always going back and forth about, you know, what are you seeing at this gauge? Is this correct? Because as I said, these data are provisional and sometimes, you know, we had one stream gauge where it was attached to a bridge and the bridge washed out. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, right. So things like that happen. And as I said, the channel changes. And so we're actively working with the National Weather Service and other partners to understand what's going on and communicate that. So they know how to interpret our data because our data are all online. Um, during a, an event, though, things are changing rapidly. And so we try to stay in communication about that. Yeah. Okay. That's how like I, I hear on the news, like this river is prote predicted to reach flood stage or predicted to crest, right? That's like mm -hmm. using some data on what's happening now versus what the meteorology folks say is coming and then kind of mashing that all up in a model. You love my technical speak here, but that's kind of how they come up with that, right? So that's perfect. Okay. Your technical speak is perfect. That's, <laughs> that's the way I understand things too. Again, I'm not involved in lots of those direct communications. Sure. Um, our, our data section and we have a, a data field chief that, that is, is having most of those conversations. I'm on the edges of those and I'm working on the side 
that's um, more interpreting what's going on. So I work with our, again, um, understanding the frequency of these floods and getting out there and really understanding what changes might be happening. Sure. And then other partners you work with, I mean, the state, uh, they're probably looking for information for safety reasons and highway response and all that kind of stuff. Yes, they're actively working with FEMA, for instance. Mm. Um, FEMA gets involved quickly during and after a disaster to help those local communities. And our state disaster and emergency services also are out there trying to provide, you know, first of all, trying to do whatever they can to keep people safe. And by the way, it was pretty incredible that during this massive event, um, I, I haven't heard, but I don't yeah. think many people were injured. Or, or So that that just speaks to our emergency responders and these communities being organized so that when something like hit, this hit, they were ready hmm. um, as they could be for something like this. Yeah, sure. But yes, yeah, so, so those agencies are out there working with the communities. Again, we're, we're providing what data we can to help them make decisions and respond. Hmm. Um, maybe down the road as, you know, others look at this data, I imagine maybe obviously federal agencies, state agencies are going to look at it and figure out how things should be rebuilt or what concerns there could be for similar events, maybe environmental hmm. organizations and like, or might, might take a look at this stuff. I mean, I imagine there'll be a lot of debriefing and, and lessons for the future. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And again, our role in all that is just to provide as good information we can. And we also do interpretive science, you know, so we, we can we can dig deeper into the data and do more analyses and help with those decisions for how to move forward in the yeah. future. Well, last thing I want to ask you, you've mentioned about all this being publicly available. Um, I think uh, there's a lot of water science nerds like me that listen. Uh -huh. uh, where, where can I know USGS.gov is your website. Um, yeah. Yes. And anywhere, where should people go if they want to dig into this stuff a little bit? So one of the first places to go is the water dashboard. And uh, I have the website. If you just Googled USGS water dashboard, you would okay. get there. Oh, perfect. Um, yeah. And that'll do it. And that's where people can dig into data and see what's happening on gauges and everything. Yeah, that gives a national overview of the stream gauges across the nation. And you can zoom in to wherever you're interested in and then start digging in by clicking on sites that you're interested in. All right. I will be sure to waste a lot of my time doing that. <laughs> I get Actually, lost in those things. Lost. You can get yeah. lost. Yeah, there's, there's so much information out there. It's yeah. interesting. Well, Catherine, I appreciate you jumping on. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and thank you to this episode's sponsor, Varuna. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.